Part three, chapter eighteen of the Tree of Heaven by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part three, Victory, chapter eighteen. It was July nineteen fourteen, a month remarkable in the British Isles because of the fine weather and the disturbances in the political atmosphere due to the fine weather every other evening in that july anthony harrison reminded his family that fine weather is favourable to open-air politics and that the mere off chance of sunstroke is enough to bring out the striker and when michael asked him contentiously what the weather had to do with home rule he answered that it had everything to do with it by increasing parliamentary blood pressure wait he said till we get a good thunderstorm you'll see how long the strike'll last and what sir edward carson has to say to mr redmond then anthony kept his head he had seen strikes before and he knew that home rule had never been a part of practical politics and never would be and michael and dorothea laughed at him they had their own views about the home rule question and the labor question and they could have told anthony what the answers were going to be only they said it wasn't any good talking to father when he got an idea into his dear old head it stuck there now on mother if you talked to her long enough you could make some impression you could get ideas into her head and you could get them out francis no longer preoccupied with the care of young children had time for the affairs of the nation she was a more intelligent woman than the mrs anthony harrison who nineteen years ago informed herself of the affairs of the nation from a rapid skimming of the times in the last four years the affairs of the nation had thrust themselves violently upon her attention she had even realized the woman's suffrage movement as a vivid and vital affair since dorothy had taken part in the fighting and had gone to prison frances sitting out this july under her tree of heaven with the times had a sense of things about to happen if other things didn't happen to prevent them at any rate she had no longer any reason to complain that nothing happened it was the home rule crisis now the fact that england and ireland were on the edge of civil war was brought home to her not so much by the headlines in the papers as by the publication of her son michael's insurgent poem ireland in the green review for michael had not grown out of his queer idea he was hardly thirteen when he had said that civil war between england and ireland would be glorious if the irish won and he was saying it still his poem was the green flag that he flew in the face of his family and of his country neither francis nor anthony would have been likely to forget the imminence of civil war only that they didn't really believe in it when from morning till night michael talked and wrote of nothing else in this michael was not carried away by collective feeling his dream of ireland's freedom was a secret and solitary dream nobody he knew shared it but lawrence stephen the passion he brought to it made him hot and restless and intense frances expressed her opinion of the irish crisis when she said i wish that carson man would mind his own business this excitement is very bad for michael and she thanked heaven that ireland was not england and that none of them lived there if there was civil war in ireland for a week or two anthony and the boys would be out of it francis was also alive to the war between capital and labor there was indeed something very intimate and personal to francis in this particular affair of the nation 
for anthony's business was being disagreeably affected by the strike in the building trade so much so that anthony had dismissed his chauffeur and given up his idea of turning the stable loft into a billiard room he had even thought of trying to let the shooting-box and the cottage on the yorkshire moors which he had bought unforeseeingly in the spring of last year but michael and nicholas had persuaded him that this extreme measure was unnecessary and frances even with the strike hanging over her was happy for the children at their first sight of possible adversity were showing what was in them their behaviour made her more arrogant than ever michael and dorothea had given up their allowances and declared their complete ability to support themselves they earned about fifty pounds a year each on an average she had expected this from dorothy but not from michael nicholas was doing the chauffeur's work in his absence and john showed eagerness to offer up his last year at oxford he pressed it on his father as his contribution to the family economies veronica brought her minute dividends paid to her every quarter through ferdinand cameron's solicitors and laid them at francis's and anthony's feet as if anthony said i could have taken her poor little money veronica thought she could go out as a music teacher there were moments when frances positively enjoyed the strike her mind refused to grasp the danger of the situation she suspected anthony of exaggerating his losses in order to draw out dorothy and michael and nicholas and john and wallow in their moral beauty he too was arrogant he was convinced that though there might be girls like dorothea there were no boys like his three sons as for the strike in the building trade strikes as anthony insisted had happened before and none of them had threatened for very long either francis's peace of mind or anthony's prosperity the present strike was not interfering in the least with mrs anthony harrison's day the last of the season it fell this year on the twenty fifth of july long afterwards she remembered it by what happened at the end of it francis's day the fourth saturday in the month was one of those slight changes that are profoundly significant it stood for regeneration and a change of heart it marked the close of an epoch francis's life of exclusive motherhood had ended she had become or was at any rate trying to become a social creature her day had bored her terribly at first when it didn't frighten her she was only just beginning to get used to it and still at times she had the air of not taking it seriously it had been forced on her dorothea had decided that she must have a day like other people she had had it since michael's first volume of poems had come out in the spring of the year before when the young men who met every friday evening in lawrence stephen's study began to meet at michael's father's house anthony liked to think that his house was the centre of all this palpitating radiant life of young men doing all sorts of wonderful energetic important interesting things they stirred the air about him and kept it clean he liked the sound of their feet and of their voices and of their laughter and when the house was quiet and anthony had francis to himself he liked that too but francis thought if only they wouldn't come quite so often if only i could have my children sometimes to myself it was the last rebellion of her flesh that had borne and suckled them there was this to be said for francis's day that it attracted and diverted and confined to one time and one place a whole crowd of tiresome people who without it have spread themselves over the whole month 
also that it gave a great deal of innocent happiness to the poor dears francis meant old mrs fleming and louis and emmeline and edith fleming who figured as essential parts of the social event she meant mr and mrs jervis who in the inconceivability of their absence on francis's day wondered more than ever why their daughter rosalind found them so impossible she meant mr vereker and mr norris from the office and their wives and children and anthony's secretary miss latham if miss latham were not engaged to young george vereker she soon would be to judge by the behaviour of their indiscreet and guileless faces francis also meant her brother-in-law bartholomew home from india for good and cherishing a new disease more secret and more dangerous than his cancer she meant her brother maurice who was genuinely invalided who had come back from california for the last time and would never be sent out anywhere again dorothea had said let's kill them all off in one awful day francis had said yes but we must do it decently we must be kind to them poor dears above all they must be decent to granny and the aunties and to uncle morris and uncle bartie that was the only burden she had laid on her children it was a case of noblesse oblige their youth constrained them they had received so much and they had been let off so much not one of them had inherited the taint that made maurice and emmeline fleming and bartie harrison creatures diseased and irresponsible they could afford to be pitiful and merciful and now that the children were grown up frances could afford to be pitiful and merciful herself she could even afford to be grateful to the poor dears she looked on maurice and emmeline and bartie as scapegoats bearers of the hereditary taint whose affliction left her children clean she thought of them more and more in this sacred and sacrificial character at fifty-two frances could be gentle over the things that had worried and irritated her at thirty-three like anthony she was still young and strong through the youth and strength of her children and the poor dears were getting weak and old granny was seventy-nine and maurice the youngest of that generation was forty-nine and he looked sixty every year francis was more acutely aware of their pathos their futility their mortality they would be broken and gone so soon and so utterly leaving no name no sign or memorial of themselves only living in the memories of her children who would remain and with an awful sense of mortality surrounding them her children had learned that they must be kind because the old people would be gone while they endured and remained this saturday being the last of the season they had all come not only the flemings but the jervises and verrikers and norrises and uncle bartie the fine weather alone would have brought them bartie more morose and irritable than ever sat under the tree of heaven and watched the triumphal progress of the day he scowled darkly and sourly at each group in turn at the young men in white flannels playing tennis at mr and mrs jervis and the verrikers and norrises at the flemings old mrs fleming and louis and emmeline and edith and the disgraceful maurice all five of them useless pensioners on his brother's bounty maurice a thing of battered sodden flesh hanging loose on brittle bone a rickety prop for the irreproachable summer suit bought with anthony's money he scowled at the tables covered with fine white linen and at the costly silver and old china at the sandwiches and cakes and ices 
and the piled-up fruits and the claret cup and champagne cup glowing and shining in the tall glass jugs and at the pretty maid-servants going to and fro in their accomplished service bartie wondered how on earth anthony managed it his wonder was a savage joy to bartie mr jervis a heavy pessimistic man wondered how they managed it and mr jervis's wonder had its own voluptuous quality mr vereker and mr norris who held that a strike was a downright serious matter also wondered but they were sustained by their immense belief in mr anthony mr anthony knew what he was doing he always had known a strike might be serious while it lasted but it didn't last and mr nicholas was in the business now and mr john was coming into it next year and mr nicholas might be married again by that time and the chances were that the firm of harrison and harrison would last long enough to provide for a young vereker and a still younger norris in spite of the strike mr and mrs vereker and mr and mrs norris like francis and anthony were extraordinarily cheerful that afternoon so were young george vereker and miss latham i can't think why i feel so happy said mrs vereker to mrs norris she was looking at her son george nor i either said miss latham who was trying suddenly to look at nothing in particular miss latham lied and mrs vereker lied they knew perfectly well why they were happy each knew that the other lied each knew that the other knew she knew and neither of them could have said why she found it so necessary to lie and to francis this happiness of mrs vereker and of young vereker and miss latham was significant and delightful as if she had been personally responsible for it a day flashed out of her memory on a trail of blue larkspurs and of something that she had forgotten something that was mixed up with mr and mrs jervis and rosalind she stared at the larkspurs as if they held the clue nicky's face appeared among the tall blue spires nicky's darling face tied up in a scarf brown stripes and yellow stripes something to do with a white cake it must have been somebody's birthday now she had it mr jervis's cricket scarf it was the day of nicky's worst earache the day when mr vereker climbed the tree of heaven was it possible that mr vereker had ever climbed that tree the day when michael wouldn't go to the party rosalind's party eight candles burning for rosalind why it was nineteen years ago don don was a baby then and michael and nicky were only little boys and look at them now she fed her arrogance by gazing on the tall firmly knit slender bodies of her sons in white flannels playing furiously and well dorothy is looking very handsome mrs jervis said yes certainly dorothy was looking handsome but francis loved before all things the male beauty of her sons in michael and nicholas it had reached perfection the clean hard perfection that would last as anthony's had lasted she thought of their beauty that had passed from her dying many deaths each death hurting her the tender mortal beauty of babyhood of childhood of boyhood but this invulnerable beauty of their young manhood would be with her for a long time john would have it john was only a fairer nicholas but as yet his beauty had not hardened his boyhood lingered in the fine tissues of his mouth and in his eyelids in the soft corners of his eyes so that in john she could still see what nicky had been she had adored anthony's body as if she had foreseen that it would give her such sons as these and in her children she had adored the small bodies 
through whose clean firm beauty she foresaw the beauty of their manhood these were the same bodies the same faces that she had loved in them as children nothing was blurred or twisted or overlaid michael at six-and-twenty was beautiful and serious as she had foreseen him frances knew that michael had genius and at other moments she was proud of his genius but at this particular moment sitting beside her friend and conscious of her jealousy she was chiefly aware of his body michael's body was quiescent its beauty gave her a proud but austere and tranquil satisfaction it was when she looked at her second son that something caught at her breath and held it she saw him as the lover and bridegroom of veronica her sense of his virility was terrible to her and delightful perhaps they were engaged already and frances was sorry for mrs jervis who had borne no sons who had only borne one unattractive and unsatisfactory daughter she used to be sorry for her because rosalind was pink and fat and fluffy she was sorry for her now because rosalind was unsatisfactory she was sorry for mrs norris because her boy could never grow up like michael or nicholas or john she was sorry for mrs vereker because george though he looked all right when he was by himself became clumsy and common at once beside nicholas and michael and john george was also in white flannels he played furiously and well he played too furiously and too consciously well he was too damp and too excited his hair became damp and excited as he played his cries had a cockney tang her arrogance nourished itself on these contrasts mrs jervis looked wistfully at the young men as they played she looked still more wistfully at dorothy what do you do she said to keep your children with you i do nothing frances said i don't try to keep them i've never appealed to their feelings for my own purposes or taken advantage of their affection that's all they know that if they want to walk out of the house tomorrow and stay out they can nobody'll stop them there was a challenging reminiscent glint in mr jervis's eyes and his wife was significantly silent frances knew what they were thinking nicky she said walked out but he came back again as soon as he was in trouble michael walks out and goes abroad every year but he comes back again dorothy walks out but she's never dreamed of not coming back again of course if you aren't afraid of taking risks said mr jervis i am afraid but i've never shown it it's very strange that dorothy hasn't married mrs jervis spoke she derived comfort from the thought that dorothy was eight-and-twenty and not married dorothy said frances could marry to-morrow if she wanted to but she doesn't want she was sorry for her friend but she really could not allow her that consolation veronica is growing up very good-looking said mrs jervis then but it was no use frances was aware that veronica was grown up and that she was good-looking and that nicky loved her but mrs jervis's shafts fell wide of all her vulnerable places frances was no longer afraid veronica she said is growing up very good it was not the word she would have chosen yet it was the only one she could think of as likely to convey to mrs jervis what she wanted her to know though it left her obtuseness without any sense of veronica's mysterious quality she herself had never tried to think of a word for it before she was only driven to it now because she detected in her friend's tone a challenge and a warning 
it was as if rosalind's mother had said extensively and with pointed reference to the facts veronica is dangerous her mother has had adventures she has grown up and she is good-looking and nicky is susceptible to that sort of thing if you don't look out he will be caught again the only difference between phyllis desmond and veronica is in their skins so when frances said veronica was good she meant that mrs jervis should understand once for all that she was not in the least like her mother or like phyllis desmond that was enough for mrs jervis but it was not enough for frances who found her mind wandering off from rosalind's mother and looking for the word of words that would express her own meaning to her own satisfaction her thoughts went on deep down under the stream of conversation that flowed through her from mrs jervis on her right hand to mrs vereker and mrs norris on her left veronica was good but she was not wrapped up in other people's lives as frances was wrapped up she was wrapped up not in herself but in some life of her own that as frances made it out had nothing in the world to do with anybody else's and yet veronica knew what you were feeling and what you were thinking and what you were going to do and what was happening to you she had really known in dresden what was happening to nicky when desmond made her marry him it was as if in her the walls that divide every soul from every other soul were made of some thin and porous stuff that let things through and in this life of yours for the moments that she shared it she lived intensely with uncanny delight and pain that were her own and not her own and frances wanted some hard tight theory that would reconcile these extremes of penetration and detachment she remembered that ferdinand cameron had been like that he saw things he was a creature of queer sudden sympathies and insights she supposed it was the highland blood in both of them mrs vereker on her right expressed the hope that mr bartholomew was better frances said he never would be better till chemists were forbidden to advertise and the british medical journal and the lancet were suppressed bartie would read them and they supplied him with all sorts of extraordinary diseases she thought seeing things had not made poor ferdy happy and veronica in her innermost life was happy she had been happy when she came back from germany before she could have known that nicky cared for her before nicky knew it himself supposing she had known it all the time but that frances said to herself was nonsense if she had known as much as all that why should she have suffered so horribly that she had nearly died of it unless supposing it had been his suffering that she had nearly died of mrs norris on her left was saying that she was sorry to see mr morris looking so sadly and frances heard herself replying that maury hadn't been fit for anything since he was in south africa between two pop-gun batteries of conversation the serious theme sustained itself she thought then nicky had suffered and veronica was the only one who knew she knew more about nicky than nicky's mother this thought was disagreeable to frances it was all nonsense she didn't really believe that these things happened yet why not michael said they happened even dorothy who didn't believe in god and immortality or anything believed that she gave it up it was beyond her it bothered her yes seventy-nine her last birthday mrs norris had said that mrs fleming was wonderful frances thought it's wonderful what veronica does to them the sets had changed nicholas and a girlfriend of veronica's played against george vereker and miss latham john with mr jervis for his handicap 
played against anthony and mr norris the very young norris fielded all afternoon he had hoped to distinguish himself by catching some ball in full flight as it went out it was a pure and high ambition for he knew he was so young and unimportant that only the eyes of god and of his mother watched him michael had dropped out of it he sat beside dorothy under the tree of heaven and watched veronica veronica's wonderful he said did you see that dorothy had seen veronica had kept aunt emmeline quiet all afternoon she had made bartie eat an ice under the impression that it would be good for him and now she had gone with morrie to the table where the drinks were and had taken his third glass of champagne cup from him and made him drink lemonade instead how does she do it said michael i don't know she doesn't know herself i used to think i could manage people but i'm not in it with ronny she ought to be a wardress in a lunatic asylum now look at that veronica had returned to the group formed by granny and the aunties and some strangers the eyes of the four fleming women had looked after her as she went from them they looked towards her now as if some great need some great longing were appeased by her return granny made a place by her side for the young girl she took her arm the young white arm bare from the elbow in its short sleeve and made it lie across her knees from time to time granny's yellow withered hand stroked the smooth warm white arm or held it emmeline and edith squatted on the grass at veronica's feet their worn faces and the worn face of louis looked at her they hung on her fascinated curiously tranquilized as if they drank from her youth it's funny dorothy said when you think how they used to hate her it's horrible said michael he got up and took veronica away he was lying at her feet now on the grass in the far corner of the lawn under the terrace why do you go to them he said because they want me you mustn't go when they want you you mustn't let them get hold of you they don't get hold of me nothing gets hold of me i want to help them they say it does them good to have me with them i should think it did do them good they feed on you ronny i can see it by the way they look at you you'll die of them if you don't give it up give what up your game of keeping them going that is your game isn't it everybody's saying how wonderful granny is they mean she ought to have been dead years ago they were all old horribly old and done for ages ago i can remember them but they know that if they can get a young virgin sacrificed to them they'll go on you're the young virgin you're making them go on if i could it wouldn't hurt me nothing hurts you michael when you're happy it's awful to think how they've lived without being happy without loving they used to hate me because i'm vera's daughter they don't hate me now you don't hate what you feed on you love it they're vampires they'll suck your life out of you i wonder you're not afraid of them i'm afraid of them i always was afraid of them when i was a kid and mother used to send me with messages to that beastly spooky house they live in i used to think it was poor old grandpapa's ghost i funked but i know now it wasn't it was those four terrible women they're ghosts i thought you were afraid of ghosts i'm much more afraid of you when you're cruel can't you see how awful it must be for them to be ghosts ghosts among living people everybody afraid of them not wanting them michael it would be better to be dead towards the end of the afternoon francis's day changed its appearance and its character in the tennis courts michael's friends played singles 
with an incomparable fury frankly rejecting the partners offered them and disdaining inferior antagonists they played ellis against mitchell and monier owen against nicholas they had arrived late with vera and lawrence stephen it had come to that anthony and francis found that they could not go on forever refusing the acquaintance of the man who had done so much for michael stephen's enthusiastic eulogy of michael's poems had made an end of all that old animosity a year ago practically they had had to choose between bartie and lawrence stephen as the turning point of honour michael had made them see that it was possible to overvalue bartie also that it was possible to pay too high a price for a consecrated moral attitude in all his life the wretched bartie had never done a thing for any of them whereas he michael owed his rather extraordinary success absolutely to lawrence stephen if the strike made his father bankrupt he would owe his very means of livelihood to lawrence stephen besides he liked stephen and it complicated things most frightfully to go on living in the same house with people who disliked him if michael said they chose to dissociate themselves altogether from their eldest son in his career very well they could go on ignoring and tacitly insulting mr stephen he could understand their taking a consistently wrong-headed line like that but so long as they had any regard either for him or his career he didn't see how they could very well keep it up any longer he was sorry of course that his career had let them in for stephen if they didn't like him but there it was and beyond a doubt it was there you might vindicate bartie gloriously michael said by turning me out of the house and disinheriting me but would it be worth while i'm not asking you to condone stephen's conduct if you can't condone it i'm asking you either to acknowledge or repudiate your son's debts after all if he can condone your beastly treatment of him i wouldn't like him if he was the swine you think him and anthony had appealed to michael's mother to his well francis what do you think ought we or oughtn't we she had replied i think we ought to stand solid behind michael it was michael's life that counted for it was going on into a great future bartie would pass and michael would remain their nervous advances had ended in a complete surrender to stephen's charm vera and stephen seemed to think that the way to show the sincerity and sweetness of their reconciliation was to turn up as often as possible on francis's day they arrived always at the same hour a little late they came by the road in the front door so that when bartie saw them coming he could retreat through the garden door in the lane the flemings and the jervises retreated with him and presently when it had had a good look at the celebrities the rest of the party followed this saturday francis's day dwindled and melted away and closed after its manner only vera and stephen lingered they stayed on talking to michael long after everybody else had gone stephen said he had come to say good-bye to michael's people and to make a proposal to michael himself he was going to ireland vera interrupted him with passion he isn't he hasn't any proposal to make he hasn't come to say good-bye her restless unhappy eyes turned to him incessantly as if more than ever she was afraid that he would escape her that he would go off god knew where god knew where he was going but vera did not believe that he was going to ireland he had talked about going to ireland for years and he had never gone stephen looked as if he did not see her 
as if he did not even see michael very distinctly i'm going he said to ireland on monday week the third of august i mayn't come back for long enough i mayn't come back at all that's the sort of thing he keeps on saying i may not come back at all so i want you to take over the review for me ellis and my secretary will show you how it stands you'll know what to do i can trust you not to let it down he doesn't mean what he says michael he's only saying it to frighten me he's been holding it over me for years say you'll have nothing to do with it say you won't touch his old review could i go to ireland for you you couldn't why not what do you think you're going to do there i'm going to pull the nationalists together so that if there's civil war in ireland the irish will have a chance to win thank god for carson he's given us the opportunity we wanted tell him he's not to go michael he won't listen to me but he'll mind what you say i want to go instead of him well you can't go instead of me nobody can go instead of me i can go with you you can't larry if you take michael to ireland anthony and francis will never forgive you i'll never forgive you i'm not taking michael to ireland i'm telling you there's no reason why michael should go to ireland at all it isn't his country you needn't rub that in said michael it isn't yours said vera ireland doesn't want you the nationalists don't want you you said yourself they've turned you out of ireland when you've lived in england all these years why should you go back to a place that doesn't want you because if carson gets a free hand i see some chance of ireland being a free country vera wailed and entreated she said it showed how much he cared for her it showed that he was tired of her why couldn't he say so and have done with it it's not she said as if you could really do anything you're a dreamer ireland has had enough of dreamers and stephen's eyes looked over her head into the high branches of the tree of heaven as if he saw his dream shining clear through them like a moon the opportunist could see nothing but his sublime opportunity michael went back with him to dine and talk it over there was to be civil war in ireland then he thought if only lawrence would let me go with him he wanted to go to ireland to join the nationalists and fight for ireland fight for the freedom he was always dreaming about that would be a fine thing it would be a finer thing than writing poems about ireland lawrence stephen went soberly and steadily through the affair of the review explaining things to michael he wanted this done and this and over and over again michael's voice broke through his instructions why couldn't he go to ireland instead of lawrence or if lawrence wouldn't let him go instead of him he might at least take him with him he didn't want to stay at home editing the review ellis or mitchell or monier owen would edit it better than he could even the wretched wadham would edit it just as well he wanted to go to ireland and fight but lawrence wouldn't let him go he wasn't going to have the boy's blood on his hands his genius and his youth were too precious besides ireland was not his country it was past ten o'clock francis was alone in the drawing-room she sat by the open window and waited and watched the quiet garden lay open to her sight only the inner end of the farther terrace under the orchard wall was hidden by a high screen of privet it seemed hours to francis since she had seen nicky and veronica go down the lawn on to the terrace and then anthony had gone out too she was vexed with anthony she could see him sitting under his ash-tree her tree of heaven 
his white shirt-front gave out an oblong gleam like phosphorus in the darkness under the tree she was watching to see that he didn't get up and go on to the terrace anthony had no business in the garden at all he was catching cold in it he had sneezed twice she wanted nicholas and veronica to have the garden to themselves to-night and the perfect stillness of the twilight to themselves every tree and every little leaf and flower keeping quiet for them and there was anthony sneezing she was restless and impatient as if she carried the burden of their passion in her own heart presently she could bear it no longer she got up and called to anthony to come in he came obediently what are you thinking of she said planting yourself out there and sneezing i could see your shirt-front a mile off it's indecent of you why indecent because nicky and veronica are out there i don't see them do you suppose they want you to see them she turned the electric light on full to make darkness of their twilight out there nicky and veronica talked together in the twilight sitting on the seat under the orchard wall behind the privet screen they did not see anthony sitting under the ash tree they did not hear him they did not hear francis calling to him to come in they were utterly unaware of francis and anthony ronnie he said did michael say anything to you when this afternoon when he made you come with him here how do you mean say anything you know what i mean mick yes did he ask you to marry him no he said a lot of funny things but he didn't say that he wouldn't why wouldn't he because he just wouldn't well he says he understands you then said veronica conclusively of course he wouldn't yes but he says i don't dear nicky you understand me when nobody else does you always did yes when we were kids but supposing now i ever didn't would it matter you see i'm stupid and caring caring awfully might make me stupider have people got to understand each other to that she replied astonishingly are you quite sure you understand about ferdy ferdy yes she turned her face full to him i don't know whether you know about it i didn't till mother told me the other day i'm ferdy's daughter did you know oh lord yes i've known it for oh simply ever so long who told you dorothy i think but i guessed it because of something he said once about seeing ghosts i wonder if you know how i feel about it i want you to understand that i'm not a bit ashamed of it i'm proud i'm glad i'm ferdy's daughter not bartie's i'd take his name so that everybody should know i was his daughter only that i like uncle anthony's name best i'm glad mother loved him so am i ronnie i know i shouldn't have liked bartie's daughter bartie's daughter wouldn't have been you he took her in his arms and held her face against his face and it was as if desmond had never been a little while ago he had hated desmond because she had come before veronica she had taken what belonged to veronica the first tremor of his passion the irrecoverable delight and surprise and now he knew that because he had not loved her she had taken nothing do you love me do you love me you know i love you you know you know what they said was new and wonderful to them as if nobody before them had ever thought of it yet that night all over the heath in hollows under the birch-trees and on beds of trampled grass 
young lovers lay in each other's arms and said the same thing in the same words do you love me you know i love you over and over in voices drowsy and thick with love there's one thing i haven't thought of said nicky and that's that damned strike if it hits daddy badly we may have to wait goodness knows how long ages we may have to i'd wait all my life if i could have you in the last five seconds of it and if i couldn't i'd still wait and presently veronica remembered michael why did you ask me whether mick had said anything because i thought you ought to know about it before you besides if he had we should have had to wait a bit before we told him it seemed that there was nothing to prevent them marrying tomorrow if they liked the strike anthony said couldn't hit him as badly as all that he and francis sat up till long past midnight talking about their plans and the children's plans it was all settled the first week in august they would go down to morfa for the shooting they would stay there till the first week in september nicky and veronica would be married the first week in october and they would go to france and belgium and germany for their honeymoon end of part three chapter eighteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine